This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We bring on a lot of perspectives on this show in the world of financial services. Many of you listeners are financial services folks or have previously worked in that industry, and there's a lot of AI traction there. We've had everybody from the former head of AI at HSBC, the head of AI at U.S. Bank, VPs of AI at firms like American Express and other financial services organizations. Uh, We've also talked to a lot of vendors, but it's interesting to get perspective from the people on the AI services side who are often building these AI-enabled products and these AI solutions for financial services and fintech companies. We speak this week with Ricardo Panaggio, who's a data scientist at Dayton. Dayton has been ranked by the Financial Times as one of the fastest-growing companies in America. This is a firm that's pretty swiftly ballooned up to over 500 employees around the world who work in financial services and other sectors. And we speak this week with Panaggio about financial services, specifically some particular use cases and things like open banking and external data sources that represent some interesting indicators as to where financial services and AI are headed together. We like to make things tangible. We like to add a variety of perspectives. And this services perspective, I think, is going to be interesting for those of you who are tuned in. And this episode is sponsored by Dayton. If you're interested in more financial services-related podcasts, by the way, you want to hear more use cases, more vendors, more trends, and more insights, check out our AI and financial services podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to SoundCloud or Spotify, and type in AI in financial services uh, into any of those platforms for podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to the AI and financial services podcast. That's where we only focus on financial services. Of course, we cover it every now and again here on the AI and business podcast, but I hope you'll become a subscriber on the AI and financial services podcast as well. So without further ado, this is Panaccio with Dayton here on the AI and business podcast. So, Panagio, I know we've got a lot to discuss here in the burgeoning interface between artificial intelligence and the world of financial services. And uh, the first use case we're going to dive into here has to do with this world of open banking. Maybe you could explain to us, first off, kind of what open banking means for some of the people who might not know at home, and then also where AI is starting to find its fit to make open banking come to life. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love to begin there with you today. Yeah, sure. So, open banking is a kind of new concept, although it's been hanging around for a while, where, you know, instead of just being behind closed gardens, you would have much more openness to an institution that is generally all closed, right? So that is the major idea around it. And uh, the, the biggest thing there is, as it's a new concept, and we have a lot of new markets around it and stuff. And again, as computing power is so strong and stuff like that, we are able to apply a lot of machine learning, AI stuff on top of all of that. So especially because if it's open, you have more access to stuff. And if you have data, then AI and yeah, ML yeah. comes yeah. in handy, right? Yeah, so yeah. That, that's that's the verge. Got it. And, you know, open, I think, you know, people... Uh, kind of wonder, like folks who aren't aware of it would say, well, open banking, I don't know, what does that mean? Like, I can check my bank account from Twitter? Does that mean that I can, you know, uh, you know, like what, what data is getting connected where? What, what would banks actually realistically want to access for the outside data ecosystem? What are some examples of some of these technologies that make banks more open that can start to integrate and open things up 
in a way that's a little bit more intuitive for users, more nimble for banks? What are the kind of sources that are involved here? Yeah, so several different areas and several different stuff could be used and are being used. So it's a very, very big area, a very major area there. But we can talk about simple stuff like you being able to access your bank through something that is not your bank interface, right? So okay. you don't have to go to an ATM. You don't have to go to the bank itself. You could be using WhatsApp. You could be using even Twitter or Facebook or something like that. So you could have integrations with APIs that the bank offers with third-party apps that you already use. And through those, we you would have a lot of access for your own data, your own account through stuff that you already use. In a sense, you make it much easier for people that already are on some platforms to use another platform that they're already in, but in an integrated fashion. Got it, got it. So so people are living online and they're living in certain apps and certain ecosystems. How can we allow banking to happen through those places where they're living anyway? Pretty compelling concept. I've certainly heard the term before. I imagine some of our audience is a little bit new to it. So now that we understand the idea, like you said, more data more opportunities to leverage AI. You know, we talk about WhatsApp or we talk about Facebook. I mean, these are unlimited pools of engagement ecosystems that could hypothetically interact with a, you know, with a large bank. You combine those two, that's a lot. Talk through maybe a use case where AI and open banking has kind of come to life and, and what that looks like in the real world. Yeah, so one of the things that we did that was really interesting is to analyze how the usage of a bank through a third-party app, let's say WhatsApp in this case, but it could be anything, uh, how that impacted. So this is one of the things that, you know, if you have the data, you have people using WhatsApp and you have the bank, the use case is clear and you want to understand it better and want to get to know if it's really working, how it's working, how to get it improved. One of the things that has been done in that area uh, is to analyze demographics, is to analyze how people group together on those things. So let's use a very common thing, banks, which are generally treated as old businesses, right? Yep. So that use yep. stuff that is out there for ages, like mail. Uh, yeah, they yeah. trend yeah. to continue use now stuff that for younger people looks like code, like email, right? And that leads to communication from the bank not reaching the users, right? So if you are able to analyze, okay, are people using uh, email or not? Are they opening my email? Are they replying to my email? Are doing something that I asked them to do on my emails? Or, and compare that to, or are people using my WhatsApp interface or WhatsApp integration and interacting with it? And, and then you can really segregate your uh, customers and say, okay, for this group of customers, I really need to communicate in a different way. Like WhatsApp could be the thing or Facebook could be the thing or whatever. Okay. And for this other group of, I, I should go uh, continue with mail because that works for them. They still use mail. They still are engaged with it. So my communications can be better on the long run because I know who's using what and how to do it. In got a it. Way. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, all right, this is really interesting. Let me see if I can nutshell this. I want to make sure I'm following you for the audience and then we'll, we'll build on, on this use case and explore it a little bit. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, lots of new data sources and also lots of interactions with lots of customers. It sounds like what we're talking about here is if we can, I imagine this is going to involve some serious iteration. If we can iterate and figure out who's responding to what kind of messaging, maybe we, we run some kind of an, an even distribution of WhatsApp versus email versus Facebook, whatever, to different demographics. We start to figure out where the resonance is. Oh, 
this kind of a overcharge balance notification, you know, this this tends to be responded to better from this channel as opposed to from this channel, or this demographic tends to not be around on the weekends, and this demographic tends to be available on the weekends to respond to messages, and they seem to like that. So it sounds like finding clusters, for lack of better terms, in terms of type of response and medium of response for type of audience and being able to kind of figure out based on, maybe you could tell me if this is wrong, based on an individual customer's pattern, how they've communicated, what they've done, what their demographics are, exactly how we should potentially interact with them to keep engagement high. Is this generally the idea or is there a little bit more to add uh, at a high level? Yeah, absolutely. So the main idea is that one. So you can figure out what people are doing and how they're doing it and when they're doing that and which platform they're using to do so. Then you can really engage your users better, even get better results, maybe even sell more stuff within your product. So it's all about money in the end for for a bank, right? So they're they're dealing with money for everyone. So even it, making it more available for the users, making people happy with uh, the product that they are using. So all of those coming handy. Being able to understand the users better, being able to understand the usage of those users makes the product better at the end as well. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm thinking about the business, you know, results here. Uh, a lot of the the reason people listen into the show because they really want to understand the business impact of AI. You know, our listeners probably don't write the code, but but they often are making important project decisions and they want to move the needle in important ways. And so you talked about a couple ways there. I can imagine, you know, if I if I think as a bank, and you're going to be able to help me explore this a little bit deeper. But if I think as a bank, what am I optimizing for? So if I'm if I'm going to custom tailor my medium and my demographic to types of messages and really be able to tailor that, I could be tailoring that to optimize for how high my customer service score is, how much they, they, they like the interaction, or at least don't dislike the interaction. So I could be trying to optimize for customer service, you know, one through five score. I could be trying to optimize for kind of getting a response in the shortest amount of time, maybe for certain emergency kinds of messages. We want to make sure what's the fastest way. And it's, it's almost even if Maybe we don't want to annoy them, but even if it's a little bit annoying, we're, we're optimizing maybe in some cases for speed. I could also see banks optimizing for customer retention and, and maybe even upselling. So what are the kinds of communication patterns that are maybe likely to ease this user into a conversation about a home loan or about you know something else that maybe they might need? There, there's so much to optimize for. When we're throwing messages, mediums on top of a widely varied demographics of audiences, in terms of their level of wealth, where they live, all that. What are the things we could optimize for to know, oh, that's the way we should interact with people? What, what are we ultimately trying to, what are, what are some of the things we could optimize for? Yeah, so that is an open-ended thing. So we could be focusing on what is needed for the bank itself. So if they want to increase revenue, if they want to increase engagement, if they want to increase retention. So all of those are really something that we could be trying to improve. And there's always areas that we could be helping them with those. So let's talk about engagement, if you wish, which is one of the areas that we could be working on. So there are situations where you you have a product that wants people to be more engaged with. So if you think about social media, for instance, that is how they make money. So they're focusing on that. But there are a lot of digital products related to banks that are also tied to that as well. So you have banks going on the direction of uh, offering the users personal management of their finances, right? So it's not just the bank is helping or is 
the place where people do their investments or hold their money or uh, use the credit card, but also offering on top of that, like, okay, you have this platform where you can organize your finances. So this is the kind of thing that you want people to be engaged with because maybe that's how you will attract more people to your app, your bank, or, you know, that, that area. So engagement in this for this specific uh, use case is key. Uh, for the app, the bank to have success. And that, that there's a great, great use case on our side to improve engagement through analysis of uh, behavior and usage. Got it. And we're going to get right into that. So I guess we'll kind of put a cap on the general idea of AI in open banking and talk, you know, just to s- summarize here, we've talked about how different kinds of messages across different mediums to different kinds of customers can be optimized for hypothetically a bunch of different business goals. We can try to reduce churn. We can try to improve customer experience based on their ratings. We can try to optimize for other things. There's a lot of things. But one of those is also engagement with an app. And I think actually that's probably not something most people would think of right off the bat as what we want to optimize for with this messaging. But clearly, if we can keep people active in our ecosystem as a financial services firm, Maybe they're more likely to buy our services. Maybe they're more likely to find the convenience of our services versus, you know, a competitor who who maybe is, is comparable in terms of what they can offer. Cool. So we'll we'll just sort of nutshell that first use case here where we talked about being able to leverage different kinds of messages across different kinds of media to different kind of users. And we can optimize for all sorts of outcomes. You mentioned churn reduction. You know, we could look to optimize customer service. Really, we could we could sort of dial and calibrate our messages to to whatever we're looking for. But you're now mentioning, obviously, this topic around engagement, you know, being able to leverage artificial intelligence to keep folks engaged with a digital application online. Lots of examples of this in financial services. What are some examples of where this could really come into play, where engagement could really be something we could we could optimize? Yeah, so let's say that we're talking about this communication infrastructure with banks, right? So if we are talking about open banking, we might have different channels to communicate to. And maybe you're not just communicating, but actually doing stuff. So you might be transferring money from WhatsApp. So how do we measure the engagement with that to the user really coming back to it or really using the services from that bank? Uh, We could be talking about a financial management application that if you offer that kind of thing, you want the person to be really managing their uh, finances there yes. that would probably retain the person to the bank. Uh, it's an added value. You're not just keeping your money at the bank, but you're actually managing your finances there. So you want people to be engaged there. And, and there are several more examples to it. Got it. Yeah. And so uh, it sounds like you know any financial application online, hypothetically, if we want people to continually use it, we could optimize for that kind of engagement. I'm imagining what this might look like. It's kind of a broad use case, so we can maybe talk a bit about it. I'm imagining that maybe it's somewhat similar to the previous use case that we talked about. In other words, we look at the different user types. We look at their patterns of use of the application. We look at the kind of notifications we could use to nudge them in order to use it. Maybe for some of them, you know, you mentioned investment management or something like that. I don't know. Maybe for some of them, they want to see how their stock trades are doing. And then for other ones, they want suggestions for saving for their children's college accounts. I I have no idea, but we can look at demographics. We can look at goals. We can look at how they use the application and then kind of learn, again, what what sort of media do we want to send out? What sorts of messages do we want to send out that's going to keep those engagement numbers high? Is this roughly speaking what we're talking about? Yeah, sure. So if you think about 
all of the things that we you you said about you know demographics and what the you know if you can categorize the person in several different areas that's one thing but also we also could take into account the behavior of the user within uh, the application whether it is a third-party application which they are interacting with the bank or if it's one application specifically so that behavior is gives us a lot of information about what user do what user don't do and how they do stuff all of these are, are important and we can in a sense process all of those so demographic information any metadata about the user that you might have along with the usage patterns and try to infer which one of those really matter for engagement for instance or for increasing your end goals like improving uh, the usage of the app improving the investments or the kinds of investors or the risk or anything like that so you can relate those two things and what we can do actually is not just relate them in a very shallow way like just say those two correlate but we can do something way deeper and telling this really causes that and when i'm using the word cause yeah you yeah. can think about real causation and not just like oh these two happen together most of the time so it looks like they're really happening together but you you can't guarantee and what i'm saying is that we we give this uh sense that doing this really cause the the outcome and that is the the big thing yeah and it, it seems to me like the science here of making this use case come to life is really around being willing to iterate because I imagine we go in with a bunch of hypotheses. We go in with, we've got to bring some pretty serious minds to the table to figure out what sort of what sort of features do we want to train this system on? What do we want to call engaged versus not engaged? What are our thresholds of engagement that are meaningful to us? You know, like even determining that is not self-evident. And then figuring out what kinds of messages are going to encourage what kinds of behavior. We've just got to test things, right? We've got to have a big enough body of users to have iterations go through and to be able to find and cluster those patterns and see which of those patterns actually turn into three months later, higher investment activity or higher average time in app. We've, we've got to commit to some time. We've got to commit to some strategy to build our kind of data ecosystem and form our hypotheses. It, it feels like the, the intellectual front end work is really quite important to make this come to life. Maybe you could give us an idea of, of what that looks like or maybe advice for people that are going to go through something like that. Yeah, so the way it looks, it might seem like it's too much or a, a long shot and you have to invest too much time and too much money to get all those, but you can always start uh, from whatever you have, organize it and move forward. So one of these use cases was based on data that was already sitting there. So we did not have to collect extra collect data. We did not have to uh, rethink any processes or rethink how we are going to build stuff for the future. It was like, okay, how can we get the data from usage that we already have? How can we process that to show the, which one of the behaviors, which one of the features, which one, what the user was doing before that led users from doing something or not doing something afterwards so that we can focus on what was important. So maybe we figured and created 10 different channels saying all of those 10 are important, but then when we go back and check how those went, we can measure that three or two or maybe even one is the most important one or attribute importance to all of those and say, yes, maybe I, I focus on 10, but three would be fine. Or 
or you could just get to a situation where yes all the 10 are important but i know that this one is important for this specific area and the other ones are important for that specific area or demographics or even kinds of behavior maybe you have all the same but for people that behave like this you might need to do it differently so these all of these could be used also uh, to get to the outcome could be even how can i improve or make people feel uh, more impelled to use those services, right? So I can analyze the same user behavior and say, okay, as this person had access to something at this point, they actually did this, but then they did not have access to something else. And they not even not only stopped doing that one thing that I was expecting to, but they stopped doing a lot of other stuff. So yeah. all of those are intertwined and you can uh, get to know that uh, but coming back to your question, uh, if you start small and you, you look into the past, you also have the framework set up, you also have the data set up and everything will be organized, then every next step would be incremental, would be easier to do. Uh, you would have already proven that whatever was there before uh, is working, is giving results, is uh, worth investing. So. It does not need to be this huge yeah, you don't uh, have to bazooka. Start, yeah, you don't have to start with every data source, third-party data source under the sun. What you're, what you're saying is you know, you could find a data source you have, find what those connections and, and how those tie to the results, how they rank against each other, and kind of build on the ones that are working to some degree as opposed to thinking you need to use all the data sources. Sounds like that's what you're getting at. Yeah, sure. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, important lesson, I think, for the people tuned in, because these projects can can be very open-ended, but from what you're, what you're saying, there's a way to sort of bound things off the get-go. And hopefully that's useful lesson for the folks tuned in now and thinking about optimizing engagement as well. Whether you're in financial services or not, I think a lot of what Panagio has said is going to be relevant. And I know that's uh, all we have for time for this particular interview, Panagio, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to join us and share some of your ideas here on the podcast. So thanks so much. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Panagio for being able to join us in this episode. And thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. If you're interested in more use cases and financial services, you can also download our AI and financial services cheat sheet. You can go to emerj.com slash fin1. It's F-I-N like financial services. And then the number one, emerj.com slash fin1. You can download that cheat sheet, which includes a list of glossary items for AI and financial services, as well as a representative array of use cases to get you up to speed fast. It's emerj.com slash fin1. That's all for this episode. Again, thanks so much for staying tuned. I look forward to catching you on the next episode here in the AI and Business Podcast.